Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in. This is the Birds and Bees podcast. I'm Diamond. I'm John. I'm Trisha. And I'm Sarah. For this episode, we want to encourage safe sexual experiences among adolescents. We will be discussing the relationship between contraceptive use, the prevalence of sexually transmitted diseases in teenagers, and solutions to these public health issues. We want to first start by comparing our personal experiences with sex ed. My first and only experience with sex education occurred in middle school. Each homeroom class would have a 45-minute session in order, in place of another elective in order to help us learn about sex. However, these, section, these sessions were soon quickly canceled after two weeks, and we learned very basic things such as what our bodies would begin to look like as we got older, and basic contraceptives for pregnancy such as condoms. We did talk about abstinence a lot, which is understandable for children our age. However, I do think that sex education should be way more extensive than what I was taught. My only experience with sex ed came in middle school. We were all split up between boys and girls and taught about the basics of human growth, development, and the bare minimum about education on safe sex and birth control. The message of the class is pretty much, this is what sex is, don't do it. I agree that there's a certain time and place for it, but it would help so much for people at that age to be taught about safety and birth control. My experience is also extremely limited. My first and only experience with sex education happened freshman year of high school. I had one class session during my physical education class where we focused on the reproductive system and abstinence. We weren't even quizzed or tested on the material. It was just spoken to us. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure I ever even learned about safe sex practices or birth control. My experience, and I put that in air quotes, was everything but what it needed to be in the in the fifth grade, guys and girls were separated to talk about puberty. I remember they taught us what a period was and how to use pads. In eighth grade health class, they talked about the female and male reproductive systems and how conception occurs. I didn't really get a form of sex ed in high school health class. If anything, they just told us that you guys know what sex is, just don't do it as if it was a bad thing. So why does everyone seem to have a different sex ed curriculum or experience? According to an article published by Sophie Peel, at GPB NPR, Georgia does not have a consistent sex ed curriculum throughout the state. Schools are able to choose if they want to implement a comprehensive sex ed program, an abstinence-only program, and shockingly, have no sex education at all. More than a third of the state's 450 high schools in Georgia opt to use a program called Choosing the Best, where the best is considered abstinence. Andrea Swarzenrember, a professor of public health, at the University of Georgia criticized this program stating it promotes abstinence by misleading students about the effectiveness of different forms of birth control. And you know what's so crazy about having inconsistent and incomprehensive sex education programs across this country is how little the adolescent population knows about the topics that affect them directly. When we were preparing our outline for this podcast, I found that from 2011 to 2013, 43% of adolescent females and 57% of adolescent males did not receive information about birth control before their first time. That's kind of crazy. It's pretty much half that age population. And the sad thing about the statistic is more than likely a large number of them had to learn the hard way. And all the potential negative outcomes are preventable with a simple conversation to make people aware. Absolutely. There are consequences associated with not educating our youth about sexual health issues, such as sexually transmitted infections and unintended pregnancy. In fact, rates of sexually transmitted infections are on the rise in the U.S. in adolescent and adult populations. Even though 15 and 24-year-olds represent only one-fourth of the 
sexually active population, they account for nearly half of all new cases of sexually transmitted infections. Of course, disparities also continue to exist in terms of socioeconomic status. Compared to white populations, Black, Hispanic, and Native American youth have higher rates of STDs. This could be for several reasons, but a few would include lack of sex education, unequal access to healthcare, and social behaviors. Now, to segue into our next part of the discussion, I'll leave you all with an interesting quote from Tamara Cranin that I think resonates with our concerns. She says, young people are going to learn about sex, and our question has to be, where do we want them to learn? From the media? From their friends? Or do we want them to learn from an educated, responsible adult? What we want to mainly focus on as the consequences of not having a comprehensive sexual education curriculum is the increased prevalence of STIs, STDs, and unplanned pregnancies. Exactly. When adolescents and young adults are not being taught about these infections or diseases, their risky behavior tends to be reinforced. Not knowing how to prevent them in the first place or what measures to take after the fact can lead to severe health consequences. These conditions are no joke. If left untreated, STIs can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, PID, certain cancers, and even infertility. To make matters worse, babies born from unplanned pregnancies show high rates of infant mortality and malnutrition and rates of abuse and mental illnesses. That's awful. What should we do to prevent these consequences? The best way to solve this problem is pretty simple. Educate and provide. We need the younger population to be educated early about the right things. The message needs to be the same for everyone and cover the important topics we've discussed. We also need to provide access to testing, birth control, and services that help promote safe and educated sex. It's one thing to talk about it. We need to have programs that allow people to be about it. The most interesting thing about sexually transmitted diseases is that they did not originate in humans. Current research shows that two major STDs originated from animals. Gonorrhea was transmitted from cattle to humans, and the same is true for syphilis. It is also believed that syphilis was transmitted sexually from cattle to humans. That's so interesting. So what exactly is sex ed? Sex education refers to the adequate teaching of bodily development, sexuality, human sexual anatomy, and sexual reproduction. It should cover a variety of topics, including having safe sex, practicing abstinence, and consent. It should also discuss the consequences of intercourse, such as STDs or emotional burdens that require effective communication. An adequate sex education curriculum should cover all of these topics. Sex education should also be introduced at the right time. It is commonly introduced to adolescents between the 7th and 12th grade, which is around the time many young people start to experience puberty and become sexually active. The curriculum is usually determined by local school districts, giving them the final say in what students in a particular region are learning. This causes a lot of issues. The curriculum is extremely decentralized and varies heavily from state to state, and even country by country. Even though widespread public support for sex education in schools began in the 1970s, debates spread due to disagreements about the content that should be covered. This variation can be seen throughout the United States. According to the Gutmacher Institute, 39 states and the District of Columbia mandate sex education. However, only 18 states require the content to be medically accurate. Wow, the variation of sex education across the country is insane. I know sex education has changed a lot throughout the years. Around the 1950s and 1960s, the focus of sex education was towards the marriage and family lifestyle, the anatomy of the human body, and the roles of family members. Prior to the education curriculum of the 1980s, there was also a deeper religious impact on the sex education curriculum. 
In today's public school system, sex education classes now focus more on the prevention of unwanted pregnancies and contracting sexually transmitted diseases. However, there is still so much work to be done to ensure our youth is well educated in this public health issue. So there's all this discussion about the inadequacy of sexual education and its consequences. What can we as a community and as individuals do to help solve this? Great question. Much like many medical issues, the first individuals people look toward to, for help are healthcare providers. Healthcare providers across the country should be well equipped to diagnose, treat, and prevent STDs. The CDC provides an STD treatment guide, which outlines prevention, diagnosis, and treatment options for a variety of different STDs. This guideline should be widely available in healthcare facilities and schools. Healthcare providers should take part in continuing education units, which allows them to stay up to date about the prevalence of STDs and how to prevent them. An example of a continuing education unit is the National Network of STD Clinical Prevention Training Centers, also known as NNPTC. These centers provide healthcare professionals with opportunities to, that allow them to expand their education. The NNPTC also provides the STD Clinical Cons Consultation Network, a free STD consultation service. Another service they provide is the National STD Curriculum, a free online module that teaches healthcare providers how to manage STDs. Finally, health providers seek to provide cheaper alternatives to testing and medications such as, as treatments for STDs. Cost is such a big barrier to individuals seeking treatment, so eliminating this is such a big step in the right direction. Wow, there are so many resources available for healthcare providers to take advantage of. Adequately providing care is done through proper education and diagnosis. Hopefully, mandating these steps will allow healthcare providers to provide the best service possible to those who need it. Is there anything we as individuals can do? Absolutely. The biggest thing that individuals can do is inform, educate, and support one another. This can be done through infographics, educational classes, and media. Here are a few examples of those infographics. The Lowdown on How to Prevent STDs is a web-based infographic that provides readers with basic information about STD prevention. The Right Way to Use a Male Condom is an illustrated page demonstrating the correct way to put on and take off a male condom. Condom do's and don'ts is a condom fact sheet that also provides information about dual protection for pregnancy prevention. Finding testing centers is another important aspect to prevention. Get Tested is a national STD, HIV, and hepatitis testing locator that allows individuals to find nearby free or low-cost testing of these diseases. Finally, targeting adolescents and young adults with comprehensive sex ed programs is the most efficient and less costly way to ensure the health and safety of these population groups. What about universities, like the University of Georgia? Is there any support currently been being given to college students? Yes, many universities, like UGA, have set up programs for making contraceptives available and free to all students. The University Health Center website provides resources for many different population groups, including men, women, and the LGBT community. They outline resources for sexual decision-making, what consent looks like, and where to go to get help. The University Health Center also created a program known as Condom Express. This program delivers free condoms to students across campus. Instructions on proper use and sexual health resources are also included with each shipment. Additionally, Safer Sex Ambassadors plan, organize, and coordinate sexual health outreach programs on campus.
They play an important role on campus by raising awareness and educating peers about STIs, HIV, contraception, and communication. Interesting. It's so great to hear that universities, especially our own, offer so many resources to help students. Another thing individuals can do is push for legislation through organizations. The Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States is a nonprofit organization advocating for everyone's rights to accurate and comprehensive sex ed and health-related services. So what do they do or what have they done so far? They've created the National Sexuality Education Standards, which outlines the minimum core content requirements in an adequate sex education program. They work toward providing a sexual education from kindergarten to 12th grade that is developmentally and age-appropriate for students. They also provide support to schools by improving academic performance, providing clear and concise recommendations to faculty, and creating content that is relevant to students. Federally mandating this standard ensures all American students receive adequate and consistent sex education. That sounds like a setback given the political atmosphere, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Unfortunately, that's not the only setback we've seen this past year. The COVID-19 pandemic has wreaked havoc on many aspects of our life, including access to proper sex ed and a global rise in unplanned pregnancy, according to an article published by PBS stating new statistics reported by the UN. Tell me about it. With so much free time and nothing to do, lockdowns brought about the idea of baby booms, but it also brought more stress, isolation, and instability as pressure on the healthcare system caused many fertility and contraceptive services to be disrupted. And now we know what happens when women can't get their contraceptives. The disruption caused by the pandemic was so large worldwide, we saw a total of 1.4 million unintended pregnancies. And counting, the pandemic is still a continuing health crisis that has interrupted and burdened the lives of many women and girls. This goes to show how vital it is that reproductive health services continue, as UN FPA Executive Director Natalia Cannon says, pregnancies don't stop for pandemics or any crisis. There have also been unintended and indirect consequences of the pandemic, which caused a major disruption in ed education with partial to full school, school closures since the beginning. With students having to adapt to online learning, schools were faced with the challenge of not being able to effectively teach their curriculum to students. And with an already incomplete and incomprehensive sex ed curriculum, students were and are not receiving the same education as they would have in person. As tired as we all are about the ongoing health crisis, it is so important that we resume some sort of normalcy. Make sure reproductive health services come back full swing and advocate for better sex education programs. So we've put together a list of initiatives you can take to do just that. One thing you can do is urge your members of Congress to support the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act in person by phone or online. Contact your school board and urge them to adopt the National Sexuality Education Standards and require comprehensive sexual health programs. Join a school health advisory council in your area. For the most part, both young people and adults are eligible to serve. Encourage your friends, family, teachers, and colleagues to join. Stand up and take charge. Organize within your community, a group of individuals, or a coalition of like-minded organizations to do one or all of the possibilities we've mentioned thus far. Well, that's all we have for this episode of The Birds and the Bees. Thanks for tuning in.